Hey guys, I hope you are well. Welcome to another episode of Known, a podcast presented by Humble Daily, aimed at dispelling the highlight reel mentality and bringing to light the fact that we all can be fully loved and fully known. Man, I'm excited for this week's episode. This week, you're going to hear a conversation that we actually had back in December with none other than media mongol Heber Cannon. My brother Caleb and I were actually out in California getting our L1s at CrossFit HQ, and Heber was kind enough to carve an hour out of his busy schedule to sit down and chat with us. Heber is an amazingly kind guy that shines such a bright light in every community that he sets foot in. He's the father of two amazing boys and a wife. He's not a wife. He's a husband to his beautiful wife, Jenna. And you guys, like we said, Heber is such a bright light in this world, and it was such a joy just to sit down and chat with him. You guys, he is one half of what is known now as the Buttery Bros. I guess that would make him a uh, Buttery Bro, if you would. But he's formerly known as the Febreze Brothers with him and one of his best friends in the world, Mars. And so him and Mars are taking over YouTube now with their crazy gifting when it comes to creating content and making people feel joy. And you should subscribe to them on YouTube at the Buttery Bros channel. You guys, we got to sit down with Heber. We talked about the recent parting of ways between CrossFit and their media team, his path to becoming a filmmaker, how he has developed this unique skill of finding common ground with athletes so that they will trust him to portray their story, and one of the hardest things that he's faced in his life, being a father. You guys, we're excited for you to hear Heber's story, but first, a huge thank you to Marston and Brooke for allowing us to record in their living room out in California. And also, guys, a huge shout-out to our sponsor for this episode, Cody Coffee Company. You guys can get 25% off at checkout at www.codycoffee.com. You can see the link to the website in the show description. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope this will bless you. We hope you will enjoy this. We love you guys. Thank you. Sweet. Well, we're here with Heber Cannon uh, in sunny California, Santa Cruz. Uh, Heber, thanks for hanging out with us, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so um, we really appreciate your time, first and foremost. Uh, you just got back from Dubai. Yep. Correct? Like uh, 24 hours ago. <laughs> How was that? It was an awesome experience. Dubai is a crazy place. So life seems to be kind of all over the place lately, kind of a little bit crazy. Tell us a, bit, a little bit about where you're at, what's going on. Uh, how in-depth do you want me to go? Uh, you can stay broad right now since we're just opening up. Okay, so about three months ago, uh, CrossFit um, had a reduction in force, and part of that reduction was my position there. And so that's opened the door for me and my buddy Marsden, who worked there and whose home we are recording this in, to go off and start our own production company. And so now we've, uh, after a few months of kind of organizing that, this last two or three weeks has been the first kind of official productions that we've done. And one of the biggest first ones that we did was the Dubai CrossFit Challenge. Awesome. And how's that? Yeah, it was great. It was fun. It was, uh, Dubai is, they like to go big. So <laughs> that's awesome. So they went big. It's crazy culture over there, right? Like, what's that like? Well, yeah, like they, they, the culture is kind of hard to describe. They're very humble, they're very generous. Um, we had, like, it's not uncommon for them to gift iPhones at this competition so like when you're there and you're in the stands like they'll literally take iPhones and just chuck them in the stands for fans to kind of get excitement and energy and then like the MC was gifted a, an iPhone and one night me and my uh, me and Marsden and our friend Tommy were 
asked to come down to the lobby and the director of the competition, like the Dave Castro of this event, came up and he's like, his highness wanted you to have these. And he gave us each an iPhone. <laughs> wow. And then another person like paid for us to go have dinner at the top of the Burj Khalifa. It was very sweet of them. Uh, but also then there's kind of interesting things like we were in a hospital one day and uh, in the waiting room they had like the men's waiting area and then the women's waiting area, hmm. <laughs> which is... You know, it felt like the 1930s, but uh, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of incredible infrastructure there. The, the architecture is amazing. Um, and it was beautiful. Everywhere we went, it was just like I just constantly had my camera with me snapping, snapping photos of various things, everything from the beach to the desert to the, just the general buildings that were around us. It was amazing everywhere you went. <laughs> That's incredible. So... Just got back from Dubai. Yep. Kind of take us back. <clears throat> Obviously, that's kind of the end of a really cool story of where, how, you, how you've kind of built your story and built that out. So you're the father of two, right? Yep. Maverick and Finley? Yep, that's right. Maverick and Finn. Awesome. What do you like to do with your kids for fun? Whew, uh, anything. So I like to get them out of the house. So um, at least uh, I travel a lot. So when I'm home, I try to make like a family vlog, which is an awesome opportunity that forces us to go outside of the house and go do an activity, whether that's um, something as complicated as going to Disneyland or just to the to a puddle to stomp in it. <laughs> uh, so any kind of physical activity, I like to get them out and just play around with them and let them experience and learn the world in a physical way. Yeah. What is it? What have you kind of learned from them in just doing that? Uh, it gives you a new appreciation for just the simplest and littlest of things. So you know something as simple as a puddle can be so exciting for them mm -hmm. where as adults you just kind of avoid them and step over them um, where they see the fun and problems we that we typically encounter so if there's something that kind of annoys us they might find that really exciting so it just gives you a different perspective on uh, how to view the world and how to view problems and, and to see the excitement in solving those problems or finding a new way to look at them yeah that's amazing. Then how long have you and your wife been married? We got married in 2009, so it's about nine and a half years now. Awesome. And how did you guys meet? Uh, I was a student at the University of Utah, and I was studying film, and I was creating a short film, and I had a casting call, and I worked with her sister, and her sister said, hey, my buddy Heber's making this movie. You should go try and be in it. And she got the part. <laughs> and then uh, at about... We actually finished filming the movie, and... Uh, I had a serious girlfriend at the time who went out of town and told me to you know, date around and see if you're still interested when I get back. And I ran into Jenna like the next night. And we the rest fell is history. Yeah. yeah, the rest is history. Very cool. So you guys used to live in Utah and now you're out in California. Yep. Um, sweet. So when you got into film while you were in Utah? I've been into film since I was like four. So back in the 80s, uh, my oldest brother was making what's kind of like YouTube sketches, like little sketch comedy stuff, he would make for the high school assemblies. And one of them that he did was uh, Back to the Future had just come out. So him and his three buddies went back to the future to find out how they got so cool. Like, how am I the cool <laughs> senior? And me and my two friends were cast as the younger version of themselves. Hmm. And so that was my first experience was acting in front of the camera. And I fell in love with it and continued to be in a lot of his productions and then continue to play with the camera ever since. So ever since I was four, I've been in front of or playing with a camera and creating 
all kinds of stories hmm. using that medium. So you kind of started acting. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> essentially, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So I know we, we kind of spoke before this and you were saying originally your mind, you kind of wanted to go work on Wall Street. Yeah, I, I guess I'd gone through high school and just the idea of being really rich and wealthy and, and having a lot of money and being kind of a baller was really exciting to me. And I was pretty decent with math. Um, but it was through like an, I had been making videos in high school and uh, I think I told you this story, but I had, um, I had this, so in the 80s, my brother was doing this, the sketches for the high school 2002, I had the same position where I was a student body officer creating little videos for the high school assemblies. And um, a high school counselor came up to me and said, hey, we have this after school program where someone's coming to teach some film class stuff. Uh, if you're not interested, would you at least stop by? So like one of the cool kids is there and other kids might be interested because you're there. And I'm like, sure, I'll stop by. Well, I stopped by and it was just me. So I kind of felt like I was obligated to take the entire course because it was me and this one teacher who was uh, a great mentor for me. And he asked, like, what do you want to do? And I said, well, let's, you know, if there's no one else in this class and we have six weeks of it, let's make a movie. So he took me through the process of, like, writing a script, storyboarding, uh, figuring out cinematography, like, figuring out the lighting setup before we started shooting. And basically it was like a really crash it was a really intense crash course on filmmaking and I learned a lot and fell in love with the process and I knew from that instant that I was like this is what I want to do hmm. and kind of talking with him on like how to figure out how to make money doing it was one thing and so from that point forward I was no longer interested in, in Wall Street or that I was interested in telling stories through film yeah because then it wasn't easy as just plugging stuff into iMovie like you can now so what was that process like <sighs> well to back it up even further, when I first started making movies, it was like I had to have, uh, I remember I made this like rollerblading film for <laughs> when I was in the fifth grade <laughs> and I was editing from one VHS tape to the other. So like you would do your whole edit where you'd play one VHS tape and record the other and then you'd stop and then you'd pause the other one and then you'd get to the next part of the video where you wanted to start again and you hit play on that VCR and then VCR B, you'd hit record again. And so you'd record the whole video and then you would put on a CD and hit play and just hope that the timing matched up from <laughs> from cut to video to song. And uh, that's how I kind of get st got started. And then, you know, uh, throughout high school, I would borrow friends' PCs and figure out how to work Premiere and then uh, use the school's computers with iMovie. And then my senior year, uh, right before my senior year, I got into a car wreck where... Uh, it sounds intense, but it was not. A, a semi hit my car, but my car was parked, and it kind of just pulled the, the back fender off, but it was a really expensive cosmetic issue, but the car ran fine. So I got this big check for the car and fixed some minor things and then used the rest of that money to buy a computer with Final Cut Pro hmm. so that I had my own little editing suite in my basement. So from August of 2001, I had a computer that I could edit my own movies on. But I had to always borrow someone else's camera for about whole, almost five years after hmm. that. So when did you get your first camera? First camera, so another finagling of money, I took my student loan that I got for the University of Utah, and I took, <laughs> I can't remember the amount it was, it was like 3000 bucks, and Panasonic had just come out with a camera called the, oh my gosh, it's going to kill me out, DVX100B, I think, and it was the first uh, mini DV camera that would record in what's called 24p which is 
a simulation of film. Film is recorded at 24 frames a second, and most DV cameras at that point was only recording at 29.97 interlaced. So this had like a progressive image, so it had a lot more film quality stuff. Mm. And it was the type of camera that at the time, like real-world MTV was using or some other TV shows were using this. It looks awful now to today's standards, but back in 2006, it was a pretty beautiful little camera. Hmm. That's awesome. So that's that's kind of your entry into film. What was your entry into CrossFit like? Um, so I uh, I credit the movie 300 with kind of giving me the, the initial look at it. I was looking at the behind the scenes on the training of that, and I said, man, that looks really fun. I want to know how to train like that. Like, bodybuilding stuff is cool, and that's kind of what we know, and that's what, like, you take gym classes at the university, they teach you biceps or triceps and all these different segmented things but I was like this makes a lot of sense to me and it looks really cool but I didn't know of a gym that I could do that at so I would kind of make up my own things at the university gym uh and I always had a fascination with fitness and training like I grew up running I grew up trying to do everything like my senior year of high school back to that year I was doing like boxing swimming cross country track and field rugby and then like I'd get home after all that and lift weights Uh, my nutrition was terrible it was like Wendy's all the time (laughs) Uh, and so flash forward to, I think it was October of 2008. I was, uh, at the movie role models and one of my friend Ben's Ben Hollings house walked into the movie theater and Ben, if you, for those of those, for those of you that have been in the CrossFit community for years, he was in a lot of videos back in like 2010, 2011. Uh, he was a friend of mine, almost like a brother to my family. And he walked into the theater and he was a lot leaner than he had been the last three months that I had seen him. So all of our friends were like, Ben, what are you doing? And he pulled up this website that was CrossFit 801. And it looked grungy, it looked dirty, and it had some kettlebells and some medicine balls. And I was like, that's it. That's the gym I want to go to. And the next morning I went to the gym and Ben, who was overweight and didn't look like he was very fit, beat me in the workout. And I was like, never again. (laughs) So I got home from that. I went and ran sprints up a a hill in a park in Utah. And then um, I couldn't afford that gym. So I started like going to their website and seeing what their workout was and I would do it by myself at the University of Utah and kind of taught myself movements. And then um, three or four months later, they found out I had some video skills as well as some other CrossFit gyms that I had been introduced to at that point. And so I would pay for my gym membership by making promotional material for the gyms that were in the neighborhoods around Mm me, Um, which then led me into working for CrossFit. Awesome. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. So when did, when did the CrossFit and film really kind of intersect and take off? Cause at first it was, this is how I'm paying for my membership. And then it can't turned into I'm on the media team. Yeah. So I, I had some really cool projects and objectives and CrossFit was always like, I love the training aspect and I loved working out, but I was never like, Oh, I want to make these videos. But at this time in my life, I was doing all kinds of odds and end jobs and filmmaking to pay rent and food I had just gotten married so I was doing like wedding videos I was doing random music videos and then I was doing some documentary work for some people and I was like I don't want to be a documentary I want to go make movies and uh, a really cool project I had at the time was I was working on a reality tv show pilot with vanilla ice and so I was working on this (laughs) weird project uh, as I was also paying for my CrossFit membership with these videos and I was like you know what I showed up late to a wedding once and luckily someone else was there with another kind of camera and it worked out but I was like ah I can't feel good about myself going to this if I like if I'm going to show up late to a wedding like this is one of the most important 
parts of their life. I just don't care enough about this job, so I've got to find some other work to do while I continue to write scripts and figure out how I'm going to go down to Hollywood and make movies. So I reached out to CrossFit HQ and I said, hey, I'm here in Utah. Um, I've done some videos for CrossFit gyms. I would love to help you follow. I know Miranda Oldroyd's a big name here, Chris Spieler, Tommy Hackenbrook. They're all about 20 minutes away from me. Um, if you want me to follow them through the 2010 season or something, that could be a cool video. Um, or if you guys have any other work, I'd love to help you out. I sent the email off and, and didn't think much of it. The next day, it turned into like a four-hour interview phone call with head of media, Tony Budding at the time. <laughs> and um, within two weeks, they had booked me out for the month of November and December. And then... Uh, the entire next year, I was traveling every other weekend for CrossFit. And that entire 2010 season, they, they kept begging me to come move here to Santa Cruz, come move here to Santa Cruz. And I was like, okay, this might be like a nice temporary thing to get me to California, get me close to what I want to be doing, um, and uh, get me out of Utah, which sounded appealing. So I came here and had a lot of really cool jobs for CrossFit throughout <laughs> the years and never ended up going down to, uh, to L.A., but... Um, things are working out that hopefully I'm, I'm, we'll be doing some work in that arena as well as I'm moving forward in this new kind of chapter of my life. Yeah, no, absolutely. What, um, so at what point did it go from like you're making kind of weekend highlight reel videos for CrossFit to full length features films? So, um, my jobs at CrossFit kind of definitely evolved. My first assignment was to create the update show. So I created this update show and I didn't, like working on it but I worked on it for a year and just kind of got that out of the way and the next assignment was to create a pilot for ESPN so that they could they could uh, get the CrossFit games on ESPN so we filmed a regional and created a pilot out of that showed them what it would look like and then they said great let's do it and then that summer I was directing live shows on ESPN and the TV truck uh, and I got caught up in all this like live broadcast stuff or news type material which is nothing that I have like I don't watch Sports Center. I don't watch live sports very much I do if it's on like I'll watch the Super Bowl but I've always wanted to tell big stories so after a few years of kind of doing what CrossFit needed to at the time to build their sport I was kind of let go to have some freedom so in 2013 I had a lot of freedom where I was creating like my job at the CrossFit Games that summer was I made a rap video that's all <laughs> I did for the month of July we wrote lyrics we uh, figured out we worked with a music producer, we recorded it, and then we went and we filmed the whole thing in two days at the CrossFit Games, <laughs> and that was all my assignment was. Uh, and I had a crew of two, and if we had that same deal now, like it would be unheard of to try and pull that off now. Uh, but the fall of 2013, we had all this amazing footage from the CrossFit Games that wasn't being utilized in the post-produced ESPN shows. And so um, I was approached to make a short mini documentary about the 2013 games and that's turned into a movie called the test of fitness and for me that was always a test to see like okay can we tell the story if we do it this in this format can it translate into something bigger and something cooler for a longer form story and um the test of fitness was a, we knocked it out of the park it's done really well it's got like two million views on youtube um, and that opened the door for me to say okay 2014, let's do a documentary. Ironically, at the same time, the Sevon and Tyson, who were kind of running the media department at that time, came to me and said, hey, we want you to do a documentary about the men's field of the CrossFit Games, and we're going to assign somebody else to do the women's field. 
And I said, well, that's dumb. You should just combine everything into one little documentary and let me focus on only the, the only story I want to tell this year, which is Rich Froning. Because hmm. while filming the 2013 Test of Fitness movie, I had discovered that he was going to retire. So I said, he's the only person that matters right now. We have to do this. And they said, great. Go ahead, do it. And if things don't work out, we'll do the men's and women's documentary. So, uh, through the process of making that, I, I kept telling them, like, hey, this is a big story. This is going to be bigger than just a YouTube video. We have to do something bigger than just making it a YouTube video. This needs to live somewhere where it can be appreciated for the art that it is. And not that like some of the other videos we hadn't that we had done weren't that, um, but this was something in particular that was special to me that I was like it has to go somewhere bigger than just YouTube, and so I had a little bit of a battle to get that idea across. Like, I remember going to him and be like, I don't care if we get paid, but it should go on Netflix. Hmm. It should be somewhere where other movies are. And someone responded with, Well, isn't that where movies go to die? Hmm. I was like, No, <laughs> and that's where big movies might go to die. But for documentaries and independent films, it's where they go to thrive. And that's absolutely what happens with, with documentaries and other reality TV shows or smaller budget movies. On a platform like that, that's where people want to see them and they'll pay, they'll watch tons of those. Or if I have to pay $3 to watch it, I probably won't. Mm-hmm. Um, so we first got it on iTunes. It exploded on iTunes. It did really, really well. Um, and from there it worked itself into Netflix. But from that point forward, my job at CrossFit turned from doing these little videos to always doing feature length films for them. Awesome. Very cool. So what would you say the Froning video is kind of your favorite since that was kind of the catalyst that one of the favorites that you've made is probably like picking your favorite child. Yeah. It's like picking your favorite child. Uh, all of them have a really special place for me. That one in particular, just because it's the first one, Mm -hmm. um, and because I had a really good connection with Rich after making it, uh, it's definitely one that I cherish. And I'm like, ah, that's probably one of my favorites. Um, but they all have their own, like, there's elements of each one that I think are really cool. And each one has this, uh, each one has a unique aspect that I really like. Yeah. So what, how it isn't, is the Froning film still performing pretty well? How, what were kind of the statistics on it? <laughs> Uh, they didn't give us a whole lot of numbers. CrossFit's an independent company, private company, and they, they keep a lot of the information to themselves. Um, I don't know. How, I know. It, so there's different stages of when you release a movie where we've seen an impact. First one is the initial release. When it's initially released, everyone gets excited about it. Um, it gets a lot of buzz. It gets a lot of information, a lot of dip buys and downloads. And then when you put it on sale, of course, like that does really well. But then the next chapter is when it goes on to Hulu or Netflix. That's a whole nother impact that, and a whole new audience where it reaches. Hmm. Um, and so Froning for the last three years was on Hulu. They had the exclusive rights to it. And then just this summer it was released here in the States on Netflix. Worldwide, outside of the U.S., it was on Netflix. But so it had another big impact. So like starting in July, I would get Instagram messages saying like, hey, I'm watching your movies on Netflix. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. <laughs> Um, so it gets a whole nother round of, uh, appreciation. And then the third round that Froning doesn't have, but the redeemed and dominant does. And so this is the first time we've kind of experienced this is when an airline picks it up. Hmm. So when it's on an airline, it gets a lot more exposure because people are just sitting there scrolling through like, Oh, I'm into documentaries. What's this cool? And what this cool artwork quick watch it. And so like, that's kind of the, the new third round of exposure that the films get. Hmm. So what I've heard you talk a little bit about it, but 
that's it's got to be a lot of pressure to be building a film about someone like Rich, right? So he's essentially the greatest in the sport, right? You have to convey him, but you also have to make it entertaining. You have to put him in a light that doesn't look bad, essentially, right? Which I think Rich probably does a good job of making yeah, that a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> um, but can you talk a little bit about what the process for that was like? Because you, you actually went and lived out in Cookville with Rich for a little while. And... Uh, yeah, I didn't live there, but I, I traveled there enough that it felt like I lived there. Um, I was with Rich for like... If you counted up the total days of 2014, I think I was with him for like 40 days. Hmm. Um, but there would be weeks at a time at the CrossFit Games or a week during the regionals and things like that were, or the Open. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just building a relationship and finding out what's interesting and cool about them and finding out different aspects of their life. So like a big part of the Frony movie is the adoption story. Well, at the beginning of filming that, I didn't know that they were having problems having a baby. I didn't know that they were looking into adopting. Mm. And uh, so you just kind of discover things about their lives that they really have to open up to you with. And I think the biggest thing is just getting them to trust you with themselves. So everyone's got like an interesting story. You just have to find an inter- you just have to find it. You just have to find out what that story is and figure out the best way to tell it. Mm. Um, Rich is very easy because he's super exciting. He's great on camera. He's a freaking superhero on the on the field. And so, like, uh, when I said, you know, that's the guy I want to make a movie on, it was a no-brainer because I had already had a great relationship with him from 2010 to 2014 that I had developed just by working in the sport. And then I knew, like, okay, now I, he's a guy that I can get along with. We're going to have a great rapport on camera, and I think it comes out in the movie. Yeah. So talk us through kind of your process of building that relationship. Because that's something we've spoken about is, I mean, really at the core of what you guys do, it's building a relationship so that you can generate great content. Because if they don't trust you, you can't get great content, right? Yeah. So I think it kind of, like, I think we have, uh, Marjan and myself and some of the other guys, we've, we've built a reputation of, of being someone to trust. Um, and I think with everyone, it, it works itself out differently. So, um, Usually I have to have a conversation, especially with the women um, and, so, and the men sometimes, that, hey, we're gonna, you're going to be... So the perfect example is Laura Horvath this last weekend. Uh, we were in Dubai with Laura. It didn't really go according to plan with her. And had we not had a good relationship with her, we would have not gotten a whole lot of content. Like She would have just been closed off and we wouldn't have seen anything and we would basically not have a story to tell after the fact. But... Um, before the weekend started, I let her know, and I think we met with her in September about a different project, and we kind of threw this idea out there that sometimes things don't go well, and that's okay, because this is never the end of your story. This is just a part of your story, and you'll regret it if we don't have the lows as well as the highs. Like, we have to have both of them. <laughs> and so this last week when we were in Dubai, um, after the after one of the events, she was kind of down on herself and crying and she was talking to her coach and we kind of missed the intro to that. We weren't there when it was happening. We just kind of walked into it and we walked away. We didn't film any of it. And later in the hotel lobby, I pulled her aside. I said, hey, I noticed you were crying back there. You're getting a little emotional. You probably saw us come in and then turn around and leave. That's because I was giving you a break. But next time you're crying or next time things don't go your way, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be in your face and I'm going to be kind of annoying. But know that I have your best interest in mind and that in the future you're going to thank me. And that this isn't the end of your story. This is only a chapter, even if it's just this video. 
I expect you to be big in this sport and I expect big things out of you. So if things don't go your way, just remember chapter C or chapter 8 is going to be much better and the ending of your story is going to be much better than what's happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. So you might hate me now, but you'll thank me later. So then flash forward to two or three days later when she's pulling out of the competition and things are emotional and we're going to the hospital. She's open to having me there and she's breaking down on camera because she knows that, hey, yeah, I'm going to be relentless and I'm going to be annoying, but I have your best sisters in mind and, and want to make you look like the superhero you are. Hmm. So how, how can you, how do you think people can translate that skill into everyday life to just build relationship with people and build rapport so that you can really be there for people in those moments and in those dark times? Yeah, so I served, um, I served a mission for the LDS church. So for two years, you're with an individual like 24-7. And you're not picking who that individual is. Like the, the president of the mission says, hey, you two, you're going to room up for the next six weeks to three months to six months, and you're going to do everything together. <laughs> and I kept having people come up to me and be like, Heber, you always have the coolest companions. You always get along with them so well. Like, how are you? You're so lucky with that. Like, I'm fighting with every one of my companions. And, and for me, a big takeaway from that wasn't like, I didn't get the coolest companions. It was learning how to work with people. And uh, so the translation from that has is, is definitely affected what I'm doing now with, with getting along with people in, in this space and developing that relationships. But I think the thing is you can always get along with anybody as long as you figure out where um, you help each other out hmm. and how to make... Uh, how to make changes in, in what your directive is to benefit both parties. Hmm. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. Have you seen that um, just kind of your family life and your relationship with your kids and your wife, does that bleed over into your filming and help make you better there? Or is it the other side or a little bit of both? Or? Yeah, I think it all kind of blends together. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, there's there's... The same thing with, with, I think, what from my mission to marriage translates. I think the missions, one of the biggest things that that is, is kind of like the karate kid wax on, wax off thing when you're figuring out how to work, make, make a relationship work to then, that's only temporary, to then signing up an agreement with marriage that's going to last for eternity. So mm -hmm. if you can get along for three months, you can get along for forever. Um, so with my wife and I, like, we, we, have figured out how to communicate and talk to one another and figure out what our goals are in life so that we can help each other out and be a positive unit as a family to support one another. Hmm. So how have you seen too the, because kind of like you said with your companions, all your companions are going to be different, but you find ways to find common ground and get along. Every athlete's different that you're filming, right? They all have different personalities, different things that make them tick, different quirks. Um, how do you handle that and still shine, show their story and shine a good light on, on who they are and their different characteristics? Well, one thing that's great about our sport is it doesn't really attract douchebags. Yeah. <laughs> and so like most of the people you're working with are cool people. Like CrossFit has this like, uh, dickhead barrier where like most people that come in, if you're not appreciative of hard work, you're not going to succeed in this gym. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that everybody, every athlete definitely has. And so for me to come in and have shown hard work and have it paid off with these movies or with the broadcasts, like there's automatically like a mutual level of respect to kind of establish where we're going. And so 
it's not that hard with any of these athletes because there's always that as our base. From there, we just build up. So we're already at a, a positive starting place when we begin. Yeah. So I kind of want to expound on your hard work kind of thing because I think you guys are probably some of the hardest workers in CrossFit, right? So you're, you have to be there filming. Then you have to go home. In the early days, at least, you had to go home, offload all the footage, edit, do all that different stuff. Um, what's the behind the scenes for you guys look like? You're behind the scenes with the athletes a lot, but I don't think a lot of people get to see the huge amount of work that you guys are putting in when you're not filming CrossFit athletes. Yeah, so I remember my first sectional event. Um, so this is sectionals, before sectionals, before the Open. 2010, to qualify for regionals, you went through a sectional. And it was one of the first CrossFit Games assignment I had for CrossFit. I had done uh, like a West Side Barbell seminar, a Level 2 seminar, um, some other seminar. I did some seminar work, and this was like, okay, this is your first CrossFit Games seminar. This is CrossFit Games weekend thing that you're covering. And I was like, I'm going to knock it out of the park. So I got there. I filmed all day long. And then I literally stayed up all night editing and then hit export, uploaded the video to, to um, an email and sent it to CrossFit HQ and then walked from my hotel back to the, co- the competition to film day two. <laughs> so I was like, it, it, this is too important. It's too cool. Like day one highlights can't come out on day three. Um, they have to come out throughout the weekend. And I remember being really kind of upset that CrossFit didn't post the video for 12 hours later. Like, why am I waiting? Like, why am I working all night if you're going to take all day to post it? Like, the urgency and the immediacy of this is what's so important. <laughs> so we kind of got that dialed in. But that's, like, one example of, of behind the scenes that goes into these things. I'm not typically doing that anymore because there's more than just one person doing these projects. Um, but depending on the timeline of the videos that come out, pulling all-nighters and editing all week, uh, editing all night is not an unusual place to find myself. <laughs> That's crazy. I think a lot of people just see you guys get to hang out with the athletes and see a lot of cool stuff and kind of romanticize the... Yeah, the glamour life of <laughs> the it. The idea yeah. about it. Um, was, that, was that a surprise to you that that was kind of how it was or you kind of knew that's what you are getting yourself into? I think that's kind of how I operated anyways. Like, I remember telling... One of the selling points were like, why work with me was... I was like, hey man, I've just done these 48-hour film festivals. And these film festivals, we did a bunch of them in college, which was... Uh, you're given a, a line of dialogue, the name of a character, and a genre, and you have 48 hours to write the script, shoot it, edit it, and submit it. And so, like these were fun weekends that me and my buddies did in high school or college, where we would produce these really cool movies in that time frame. And we would we wouldn't sleep; we'd just load up on rock stars and candy and go out <laughs> and, and have fun on weekend. Um, and I enjoyed that process. And if I'm editing videos, it's typically like I just happen to be a night owl so I'll edit from 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. and I have a really creative window at that time period um so fast forward to working for CrossFit when I was working at home as a contractor I would uh my day would start at like 11 a.m. and I would go to the gym and I'd hang out in the sun and then I'd go to a movie that night and then eat dinner and then I'd come home and I'd work from like 11 p.m. till 5 in the morning and that's just kind of how I operated um so when I came and worked at CrossFit headquarters, it can be kind of gnarly that way, but um, there's a lot of freedom in that as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's awesome. So back to kind of the relationship side of things, or the you've got to build some cool relationships, one of them being with Mars, right, mm-hmm. whose house we're in recording. 
Um, maybe bromance is a better term. Yep. Um, <laughs> tell us the, the origin story of the Febreze brothers. So, uh, one of my, actually one of the very first gigs I had for CrossFit, um, was they were doing this series called the Ding series where Southwest would ding you if they had a deal to fly somewhere. Hmm. And they dinged Tony Budding and Rory McKernan that Salt Lake City was open. And it was a cheap flight. So they booked a flight to come to Salt Lake where I was. And they had three different gyms bring in an athlete to coach. So it was Chris Spieler coaching somebody, Miranda Oldridge coaching somebody, and Tommy Hackenbrook coaching somebody. Well, Miranda was coaching my wife. I forget who Chris Spieler was coaching. And then Tommy brought in Brooke Entz. And so I met Brooke that day and we we got along. And then uh, I would see her at events throughout the years, throughout the next few months. Like there was a competition in that January called Fitness Elevated, and I saw her there. I don't remember meeting Mars in there, but at the sectionals in Utah that February of 2010, um, I was there filming on behalf of CrossFit, and this guy comes up, and he goes, hey man, can I get access to filming this if I give you my footage? And I was like, sure, yeah, if you're, as long as you give me your footage, that'd be great, and it was Marsden. <laughs> and he showed up and filmed all weekend. He's like, I just want to film my girlfriend, and I'll film some of the other stuff too. And I was like, great, yeah, do whatever you want. Um, and just let me get the footage that would be great so like three days later he shows up at my house and he had organized the footage Marsden's like extremely well organized and he's got great handwriting uh, and he <laughs> gave me this hard drive with all the footage like labeled and like really categorized well and I was like dude this is awesome um, and he said hey if you know any other work here in the sport I'd love to help out and so I gave his information immediately to Tony and he started doing contract work for him as well so from that point forward um, we worked every now and then throughout 2010 on projects. I think we, our first project together was the regionals in the Northwest that year in, in like May. Um, and then starting in, uh, 2011, when I was here working on the update show and, and doing live stuff, he would fly down and we would, we would coordinate and work a lot at that point. Hmm. So since 2011, we've been working really closely together. Awesome. Very cool. And you guys just grown closer throughout that process. Yeah. Very cool. So kind of jumping to now, um, present time. So you guys are no longer working under CrossFit, yep. correct? Um, that was a very successful position for you guys. Got your foot in a lot of cool doors and allowed you guys to do a lot of really cool things. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that came to fruition and um, it, the detail that you can talk about? Of which part? Of stepping out from underneath CrossFit. You guys are no longer with CrossFit. Yeah, I mean, they... Want, the CrossFit has a different direction that they want to go in. They don't want to be a media company anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not going to be putting out these types of videos or any videos, really. Like they have, I think their main focus and all I've heard that they've been working on for the last two months has been instructional content. Um, you guys were just there, so you might know more about what they're doing. But, uh, <laughs> but I know they're not doing this type of stuff and they're not interested in creating entertainment or media or storytelling. Which is fine. Like if that's not what you want to do, that's your business. You can do it. But there's an audience for it. And mm -hmm. Marzen and I have kind of put us, positioned ourselves throughout our work in CrossFit to be kind of like, I don't say the best at it, but we're pretty good at it. And we have a, a pretty good following from it. And um, we feel like these athletes' stories still need to be told. I think that we, you know, we owe it to the athletes as well as the audience. Um, and so we've 
decided that we want to continue doing almost the exact same thing we did at CrossFit, but now under our own terms and under our own umbrella. And so we're forming our own little production company and, and figuring out how to finance it and how to make money doing it. But we're, we're uh, committed to making a series this year about this new season and what's happening in the, the sport of fitness. Awesome. So that's, that's got to be a little scary, right? There's got to be some fear attached to that. Can you talk a little bit about like what, what are some kind of fears and insecurities that it, people who are advanced in their field is, as you and Mars are, but the fears that you still face uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, like, uh, I've been without a consistent paycheck since October, it's now December, um, and I remember this, it, it brings me back to 2009, my first year with CrossFit, uh, I'm, I'm in a very similar position where, like, uh, my first job for CrossFit was I had to fly to, I remember it was like Thanksgiving weekend, and they were like, hey, we need you in Ohio tomorrow. I was like, the ticket's like 800 bucks. Is that okay? And they're like, yeah, great. We'll just reimburse you. So I had to like borrow money from my mom, <laughs> buy my plane ticket, got there. Uh, and there was a whole bunch of other expenses. And there was like two, there was two flights like that where I was going. I went straight to there to California to film a CrossFit football seminar. And um, then I got home from that and found out that the people that were running the CrossFit seminar were sort of blacklisted by CrossFit. So I wasn't going to make any money from that trip. And uh, I was in an interesting position where I, they hadn't paid me yet and I had just invested a lot of money in flights and I was like a newlywed and I said, hey, baby, I don't, you know, we might have to have Christmas a little later. You know, <laughs> we might have to have Christmas in 2000 and, you know, like two weeks later. Um, luckily, I got reimbursed and paid by the time Christmas came around, but I'm in a position now where it's like I'm investing in things and I also have to make sure that I'm able to provide food and, and housing and, and stuff for my children um, and I have a lot of faith that things are going to work out but it's definitely like there's insecurities there where I'm like I don't know like maybe this won't work out maybe I'm not doing the right thing um, but you just kind of have to go with your gut and feel like you know this has worked in the past it feels like things are going to work out mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit like how do how does insecurity kind of manifest itself in your life particularly is it is it in your content? Is it in kind of your path, or is it? I think where I probably feel the most insecure is is um, like I'm pretty confident in my filmmaking, and if I'm always like one of the standards I've always set for myself is I have to make something that I would watch. Hmm. And as long as I'm doing that, I don't care what other people say. You know, if I like it and I would watch it, then it's probably going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be cool. Um, For personal life and for uh, being a father is probably like the most insecure place you can be. <laughs> and you can't let it overwhelm you, but it's definitely something that um, it's hard not to be when you're looking at this like four-year-old and you're just making sure that like it, there's no way to really control and see how much or what you're doing or what you're saying is going to impact them 15, 20 years down the road and what kind of man is going to be built out of this little dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that makes me really insecure and nervous is like how do, how do I always make sure and check myself to make sure that this guy turns out okay and turns out to be a good dude yeah oh absolutely um, what's that like so you just came home you, you gotta go to Dubai and do all this cool stuff I'd imagine coming home to your two boys and your wife 
is equally or more cool than a lot of the stuff that people get to say, right? Yeah, it's like, so I got home last night at six and my kids are usually never in bed till nine, but my youngest went to sleep at like, he went to bed at six. <laughs> so he was asleep when I got home and this morning he came into my bed at four in the morning. Luckily I'm jet lagged, so I was sort of awake anyways. And he came in and he saw me, he got so excited. He goes, Daddy. <laughs> and he's all quiet, Daddy. And I said, yeah, Finn, come here. He calls on my chest, he goes, I love you. I was like, oh man, I love you too. And he goes, I missed you. And I was like, oh, thanks, Finn. And so like, like there's nothing cooler than that. Whatever the experiences I had in Dubai were awesome, but like having a little two-year-old come in and not coerced at all, tell you that he loved you and you missed you. And then he wanted to talk about how I flew and how I, he thinks that when I go to work, if I'm at work, I'm exercising. Because <laughs> when he used to come to the office and see me at the office, I would like, Hey, let's go down to the gym somewhere where we can actually play around. So he just thinks that that's what I do for work. I just go to the gym and mess around. <laughs> so he's like, you went on a flight? I was like, yeah. He's like, did you drive? And I said, yeah. And he goes, did you exercise? And I said, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So Heber, what's what some advice you have for people that kind of want to take a similar path that you've taken or maybe just have a have an interest in film and they're not sure really where to go with it? Man, with all the technology and all the places that you can distribute content and storytelling today, there's no excuse. Get an iPhone. Get a Pixel 3. If you don't have one of those, somebody you know does. Borrow theirs. Um, Buy a cheap DSLR camera. You can probably buy, like my first camera I still have is a Canon 7D. And uh, make something cheap. Make something fun go out with your buddies and do stuff. Like I, one thing that I, I, I remember my, I still feel like now I'm doing the exact same thing I was doing in high school. Mm. I'm making sketch comedy with my buddies. So mm. like in high school, I would get two of my best friends and we would write out these ridiculous ideas for a stupid video for our assemblies. Flash forward 10 years and I'm getting paid a decent amount of money working with Dan Bailey writing Danny Broflex, you know, and it's the exact same type of content. It's the exact time kind of production where it's like, it's loose. It's not like, we don't have a script. We don't have a big storyboard. Like we're just kind of shooting off the cuff and we're writing up jokes as we go. And, and the rule whenever we get together is like, we have to be laughing the whole time. And if we're not, and we're frustrated. It's going to show on camera and we have to stop production. Hmm. And so like, we probably waste a lot of money, but we have more fun and, and it's it's always a blast when we're doing that. Yeah. And so when I'm creating that kind of content or I'm, I'm shooting today with Brooke for Enswear and we're having a great time, we're creating stuff on the fly and um, we don't always have a plan as to how it's going to look in the end, but I know like these are the types of shots I need to have um, and I can create something cool out of this. Or you go in with a plan and you figure out oh, it's going to go from A to B. But uh, for someone starting out, the idea is just go out and shoot stuff. Grab a camera, learn how to shoot stills, learn how to sh- create one good frame. And then from there, learn how to tell a story over 30 seconds, 15 seconds, a minute, 20 minutes, whatever it is your time to manage you want to tell. Hmm. Awesome. How can you kind of encourage them through the insecurity they might find um, along the way? I think follow that rule of, of only do something you think is cool. Yeah. As long as you think it's cool and it's something that you would watch, you'll never miss because who cares what anyone else thinks <laughs> that's awesome so what's in the pipeline here so we just got back from dubai we have a whole bunch of commercial work that we're doing we're finishing that episode up 
uh, and we're lined up to go to Wadapalooza. So the next big project, like we have some projects in between here and there that we're shooting. We have a lot of things in the pipeline, um, but that's kind of the next big cool thing. We just finished with Matt Fraser and Laura Horvath in Dubai. Um, we're going to be working as of right now. We're scheduled. We're slated to work with uh, this guy named Patrick Vellner and this girl named Tia Claire Toomey. <laughs> um, it should be a cool little episode of our, our series that we're putting out. And so that's sort of the next uh, thing that we're working on now. Awesome. Very cool. So if everything goes as planned, what's kind of your guys' goals? What's your vision? You know, it, it, it's so funny because everything changes at every minute. Like right now, there's a lot of uh, unknown in the CrossFit sport. Um, and that is on all levels. Like, there's no rule book right now. It's amazing. Uh, there's, um, we're not entirely sure how the week of the games is going to look. We don't know how there's going to be a broadcast of the games or, or how they're going to tell the stories of these events. So we're in a pretty cool position where, like, Marjan and I uh, have done this before. We've done it successfully. One thing that's not happening with the sanctioned events is there's not, like, a unified thread of good, productive, highly produced storytelling through the season. And so that's what we feel like we're kind of the, the key to that, where we can we have relationships with athletes, we're known in the community, we're known by these event people who want to have us come and film it. So we would like to go to a bunch of these events and create a six to ten episode story of the season that finishes at the CrossFit Games and tells how the season has changed, how the CrossFit sport has changed, and what impact that has had on a personal level with the CrossFit athlete. Hmm. That's awesome. So our kind of whole goal with this podcast is really to show like, hey, people with platforms don't have it all together, right? They're still struggling with different things and really doing that. And I think what's really cool is that you've gotten really good at that, right? Like you've made a career out of that. And I think you're very gifted in that. And every, every CrossFit athlete I know and person I've talked to speaks exceptionally high of you. Thank uh, you. So I, just, I just wanted to step into that. And, and I think you're very gifted at what you do. I know we've consumed, I think, all of your content and we love it. So awesome. Um, just want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing, and man. Well, we we don't have it all together right now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we don't know where any of this is gonna live. We don't know how we're gonna get to places. Like we're just kind of, we're shooting from the hip and and hoping it works. Yeah. So absolutely. Where can people find you here? Uh, you can probably the best place right now is Instagram Heber uh, at Heber Cannon. Um, I'm also I think at Heber Cannon on Twitter. Um, those are probably the two best places. Instagram is probably where I spend the most time on social media or slide into my dms there awesome very cool hey we appreciate your time here thank you so much thank you guys thank you guys so much for listening man i hope you guys are really getting some good nuggets out of these podcasts i know that we are but man heber is just such a fountain of joy what a great guy just to spend some time with and be around he's so talented and so creative but yet so humble and so it's just great to be around people like him Man, make sure you're following Heber on all his socials. We'll tag them in the description below. And also, go subscribe on YouTube to the Buttery Bros channel. If I'm honest, their channel is one of the best channels on YouTube, and they're just getting started. So you got to go check it out, man. They create amazing content, and they're just hilarious and just such humble, down-to-earth guys to be around. And you really feel like you can connect with them through the screen. So go subscribe to them. Go check them out. You'll have a blast. It'll be a little flash of joy for your everyday when you get to watch a video from them. Uh, but hey... Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Don't forget, go to CodyCoffee.com, guys. I don't just promote because it's a sponsor. I promote because it's a dear friend of mine and because I believe in what he's doing. And, man, he just roasts some dang good coffee. And so go check it out. Take a sip. Let me know when you do. Use the code KNOWN for 25% off. Get yourself some good coffee. Again, one last huge shout-out to Brooke Ants and Marston, man. 
we're so thankful that you guys just opened your door to us and allowed us just to sit down and really steal some of your time to have a conversation with Heber. Thank you guys for doing that. You guys are such a blessing. Thank you guys again for listening, man. It means more than you know. We're just some homegrown Wyoming boys trying to spread a message and impact the world. And we thank you so much for all the feedback that we can get. Guys, if you haven't already, it would mean the world to us if you just took a couple minutes to go rate the podcast and leave a little review. Man, it helps us so much when in terms of getting sponsors and just getting different people on the show. It's really a benefit for you. And so thank you guys for doing that in advance. We appreciate it. It only takes a couple minutes. Man, we love you guys. We hope you have an amazing week. Start with this. Start with some joy and really take from some of the nuggets that Heber gave you. Thank you, guys. Music is Intersection by DJ Quad. Check him out on all music platforms, especially YouTube and Spotify. We've linked them below.